This is Jim Inkster. Thank you for joining us for Talk Louisiana, originating from the Investar Bank Tower in Baton Rouge, and signature support is from East Baton Rouge Parish, Mayor Sharon Weston Broom. We begin on Mardi Gras Day, and by the way, happy Fat Tuesday to you, with Jennifer Maruzak, who is the executive director of the Port Association of Louisiana. Now, this is not a government entity. It is a 501c3, and all the ports, 32 of them, are involved. The association has been around since 1984, so this is year 40. And Jennifer Maruzak has been head for six years. Many of us remember her when she was the communications director for Governor Mike Foster in his second term. And she, of course, is somebody who knows the lay of the land. And for those unfamiliar with the ports, it is one of the untold stories in Louisiana. Louisiana ports carry 25% of all waterborne commerce in the United States. That's one quarter. In the five Mississippi River ports comprise in Louisiana the largest port complex in the world, in the whole wide world. So it's a story that I think most people are probably aware we have ports and big ones, but not this big. It is a really huge operation, isn't it, Jennifer Maruzak? It absolutely is. I mean, we have basically three classifications of ports that we talk about, and that's the deep water ports that support global trade. It's the coastal ports who enable the energy industry. I mean, Port Fouchon now services 100% of the deep water rigs down in the Gulf of Mexico. And in fact, we've created an energy addition subcommittee. Uh, I think Fouchon just announced an offshore wind farm that they're going to be working on. Um, but we think energy transition is a misnomer. So we call it the energy addition because we all know oil and gas isn't going to go away. But then we have our inland ports as well that drive the local economies and fuel a lot of agriculture in this state, which is, of course, a huge industry in itself. Thirty-two ports, and many of them are in South Louisiana, as you can imagine. But, of course, there's a port in Lake Providence. The port in Lake Providence is the fastest-growing inland port in the nation. Isn't that something in an area that's the poorest city Absolutely. in the nation? But they have to move that agriculture out of there, and that's how they do it. Well, some of the figures that uh, Robin Dow has provided me, uh, $33 billion in personal earnings are uh, part of the port association as far as the ports they represent state taxes 2.4 billion local taxes 1.8 billion and over a half million jobs direct spending is 96 billion and the economic input output rather uh, it's pegged at 182 billion dollars so this is a major operation it probably rivals oil and gas as far as the economic influence on our state and as a result of its it's a sway in our state. Uh, anything that happens with it is significant. And right now, I, as I'm looking at you, you've got a copy of a legislative auditor's report I have not seen. Is there anything in there that is uh, thought-provoking? I think there are several things in here that are thought-provoking. And, and as you said, we are talking about an industry that is responsible for one in five jobs in Louisiana. Now, that's 40 to 45% more direct jobs than the oil and gas industry. And, you know, DOTD itself has determined that the state received $8 in taxes, jobs, and benefits for every $1 of investment 
So if that's not a return on investment, I don't know what is. It's unmatched by any other industry in the state. Mm-hmm. You know, this legislative auditor report that came out recently uh, puts into perspective what we're doing compared to what other states are doing. Um, last year, Act 459 by the 2023 legislature created the Office of Port Development within Louisiana Economic Development, within that agency. And it's supposed to come online in July, um, but it hasn't been funded yet. So we need to see that office funded. Um, and when you're looking at the recommendations for legislative consideration by the auditor, it basically all boils down to funding. They're asking for full funding for the Office of Port Development a strategic plan for Louisiana ports, which we have been begging for. We have been begging for a strategic plan. Now, each of the ports have their own master plan, but we need a strategic plan for the port system. We think that's imperative. They talked for increased funding for ports. Right now, the past eight years, let me back up a little bit. The past eight years, Governor Edwards proposed and the legislature appropriated $39.4 million for the Port Development Fund. And that was an unprecedented amount. Now, Governor Blanco, former Governor Blanco, had given us $20 million a year. And some years under Governor Jindal, we got zero because we're not statutorily obligated to get any money from the state. All right. So you fared better under Blanco. And how did you do well do under John Bell? Edwards? We did more than double what we previously gotten under Governor Edwards. So we are under Kendall. Yeah, yes. Okay. More so, well, more than double even than under Blanco. Edwards gave us more than double than what Blanco had given us, and sometimes Jindal gave us zero or six. And how's it looking under Governor Landry? We are waiting to see. You're waiting to see, and I, I guess that's why you uh, you welcomed uh, my invitation to come on our show, because <laughs> you've got a story to tell, and it's a big story, and uh, I think, you know, we're last in a lot of bad things, and we're first in very few good things, but this is one thing that is extremely good that we're first in, as far as we have the biggest port system in the world right here in our backyard, and as far as actual jobs, a listener notes that and I, I, I'm relatively sure he's correct that farming actually has more jobs. And I, I, I believe that. But as far as uh, money, which is what Lauren Scott, my dear friend, looks at, uh, the ports and the oil and gas industry are ahead of farming. Eight yes, sevens. And, well, go ahead. Go ahead. And I'll be I'll absolutely agreed with your caller that the port system moves that agriculture commodity. Well, the port so they system, all tie the port in together. The system's tied to all of it. Absolutely. Every bit of it. Absolutely. 877-217-5757. David in Atlanta. David, good morning. Uh, hold on. Alexa, stop. Uh, <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to talk about this port in, in Violet. I worked for transportation companies in New Orleans, and I can tell you every study found that manufacturers look for locations with a good transportation system. Atlanta is doing very well. It's a rail hub. It's an air hub. New Orleans is already a rail hub. We need that facility, the container facility. We are blessed with the Mississippi River. It's a great resource for commerce. We have to build that violet container port. It would be a wonderful shot in the arm for the Louisiana economy. All right. Uh, and I absolutely agree with you. Uh, that that What has hindered traffic coming up further up the Mississippi is the height of the Crescent River Bridge, the Crescent City Connection Bridge. Uh, the bigger tanks 
the bigger tankers that are coming out of the Panama Canal cannot get under that bridge. So we need that container facility in Violet to be able to take in more of the... Our biggest uh, competition right now for the Port of New Orleans, which is the only international container port that we have right now, is Mobile and Houston, because they don't have to get under bridges to be able to get to their final destination. Now, another thing that hurts us sometimes is that we do not have distribution centers in Louisiana, such as we've got 4 million people in the state, and Houston's probably about got 7 million in Houston itself. So we need the distribution centers, and we need that uh, container ported in Violet as well. 877-217-5757, if you'd like to get in with Jennifer Maruzak. The Port of Greater Baton Rouge, by the way, is also one of the biggest ports in the United States, but the Port of South Louisiana ranks number one in our nation for facilitating the most tons of cargo transported. And the Port of New Orleans, of course, that Jennifer mentioned, is uh, the breadbasket of the world. It handles cargo, serves as a cruise ship terminal, and of course, up that river we go and that's where things happen as far as providing sustenance for our country. But these ports need TLC. They just don't uh, stand there uh, without support. And the infrastructure is something that we may take for granted. I think so. You know, we've been very fortunate with our congressional delegation and that we finally got the funding appropriated to dredge the Mississippi River to 50 feet all the way up to Baton Rouge. And that's a coup for Baton Rouge. It's huge to be able to allow those bigger ships to get all the way up there, but we've got to maintain it. So we need that ongoing funding, and we're actually ahead of schedule in getting the the channel dredged to 50 feet all the way up there. But we've got to maintain it, and we've got to keep it going. We've got to keep the Mm -hmm. momentum going. We can't do stopgap measures. We've got to look at the whole system and how it can benefit our entire—because it affects our entire nation's economy. All right. Uh, uh, you mentioned Lake Providence, the largest tonnage of inland ports for agricultural products, fastest growing inland port in the United States. How about that? And Mike in Lafayette says, don't forget the port of Crot Springs. How about the port of Crot Springs? The port of Crot Springs is indeed a member. Uh, they have a little grain moving in and out of there. But, you know, when we talk about some of and our I'm other... Googling, they got over 300 employees there. That's a big employer in Crot Springs. It, it absolutely is. But we've got uh, down our coastal ports, when you go on down the Chafalaya, you look at Morgan City, you look at Port of Iberia, the Terrebonne Parish Port. Those are huge shipbuilding operations, and they help fuel the work that's going on at Port Fouchon, for instance. I mean, those smaller ports are great for the bigger ports. They're needed. We'll be back with Jennifer Maruzak, the Executive Director of the Port Association of Louisiana, after this timeout. This is Jim Inkster. You are listening to Talk Louisiana. Happy Mardi Gras to you. Pleased you are spending time with us. Emails to talk at talklouisiana.org. And our number hasn't changed. It's 877-217-5757. A few more minutes with Jennifer Maruzak, the executive director of the Port Association of Louisiana, a post she's held since 2018, six years now. And she has been involved in various matters through the years. She worked for the late, great Fox McKithen, as a listener noted. And uh, I miss Fox. It's hard to believe that this July will be 19 years since that man died. Wow, that's unbelievable. But you talk about characters. You worked for a couple of them, Mike Foster and Fox McKithen? 
Some of the greatest bosses I've ever had. <laughs> and people might be surprised to hear that. They absolutely were. I mean, they were, they were both of them firmly believed in hiring people because they were good at what they did and allowing them to do their jobs. And I think that's the most that, uh, anybody can ask for in any position that you, that you carry on. Well, sometimes uh, you, you can, quote, micromanage. I don't care for that term too much, but they were not micromanagers. Absolutely not. Uh, in fact, when you uh, first came into Governor Foster's office, he gave you a coin, and it said, do the right thing. If you couldn't reach mm -hmm. him, just do the right thing, and he'd back you up 100%, and he did. But when that man got something in his mind, he went with it, and sometimes it was amusing, like when he wanted to drug test all the state workers. Imagine if <laughs> that went on today. Yeah, that might not uh, might not. There were some uh, things that we were nervous about as a staff. For instance, when he started doing his own radio show. Yes, that, live mic. That was a little nerve-wracking for those of us that were sitting in the office listening. But he was a natural personality, and so perfect. even and, and he was he was fully comfortable in saying something that most politicians would never say, and that's I don't know. Um, yeah, exactly, and we love that about him. You know, when we go back to the port funding. We've got another opportunity as well. Besides the annual funding that we need to have secured, um, we need the governor to propose it. We need the legislature to appropriate it. But they're also going to have $325 million in surplus dollars. And port infrastructure is one of the things the surplus dollars can be spent on. Now, after they take care of the constitutional obligations with that surplus dollars, you're still going to have $211 million that could be allocated some of which to port infrastructure projects. 877-217-5757. We'll take a call or two uh, for Jennifer, and then we'll go to Jensen Moore, who's going to analyze the Super Bowl commercials for us. But uh, another listener notes, and I pulled up this information, courtesy of our producer Robin Dow, about the Panama Canal. Now, people probably don't realize that uh, the, the Louisiana port system is involved with the Panama Canal. And I looked at 66% of all the cargo traffic flows to and from the U.S., and so Louisiana plays a role not only going up the river but south of the border as well. Well, that's one of the reasons that we talked about uh, needing that container port down in Violet is because they're bigger ships now. They call them supermax ships that are coming through the Panama Canal since they widened it and deepened it. Um, and so we need to be able to have the capacity to come up there. We can't be encumbered by bridges. I mean, everybody knows that uh, former Governor Long purposely built the uh, bridge at Airline low enough so that the big ships would have to unload at Baton Rouge and they'd have to move to barge traffic. But now it's kind of hindered us even further down the Mississippi, and we want to make sure we, can, we have the capacity to take that cargo. Alonzo in Villa del Rey. Alonzo, you're on Talk Louisiana. Uh, yes, good morning. This is exciting information. How can uh, citizens obtain a tour of the port, of uh, the Louisiana port? On our website, portsoflouisiana.org, if you go under membership and corporate members, you can reach out. There's all the contact information for each of the individual ports. You can contact them directly and ask. I know they are all more than willing and more than happy to showcase their work. Thank you, Alonzo. And another listener asked about the um, the uh, 
ins and outs of the actual management of these ports. Now, you're a port association, a 501c3 unattached to the government, but these ports have their own boards and commissions and things like that that I'm sure you deal with, but they're not they're Correct. not directly involved with you. No, each port is created in statute. In fact, there are 42 ports created in statute. There are only 32 ports that are active right now. And, you know, that's something else the legislative auditor's report talked about. And that's how there are some state authorities in other coastal states. But that just wouldn't be realistic for Louisiana. It would just add another layer of bureaucracy. If you look at states that are comparable with ports, such as Florida and Texas, um, they don't have state port authorities. And in fact, uh, let's see, Georgia has, for instance, has a state of port authority, but they have four ports, not 32. They only have one deep water port. They have three inland ports. I mean, it's, we're talking apples to oranges when you're talking about the governance in other states and how it works in Louisiana and Texas and Florida. Well, we have a huge operation in a small state. so it's Right, and, I, and uh, most of our ports are all, you know, they're specialized in the work that they do. Fushan with the energy um, businesses. Uh, when you talk about Lake Providence and agriculture, you talk about Homa, Thibodeau, I mean, and... Morgan City and shipbuilding. I mean, and the only international container in New Orleans. I mean, those are all things that have to be taken into consideration. But the huge LNG industry over in Lake Charles and down in Cameron Parish. It is an amazing uh, show of might when you look at some of these numbers. Port Fouchon services 90%, 90%. It's 100% now. Of all deep water. Yes. And shallow water rigs. Yes. In fact, if Cameron Parish was a country, they would be the third largest country in exporting LNG right now. Cameron Parish itself. Well, thank you, Jennifer Maruzak. We'll look forward to an update soon and very soon. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Who is the executive director of the Louisiana Port Association. We're joined now by associate professor at the University of Oklahoma, She's a MassCom specialist, Dr. Jensen Moore, who taught at LSU for many years at the Manship School. And for, I think this is the 13th consecutive year, she's here to analyze the Super Bowl commercials. And good morning to you, Dr. Moore. Good morning, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. And um, it's good to have you on a day after where we can kind of get the, uh, the lay of the land as far as how the commercials have been accepted and uh, USA Today has this meter that they use and there were definitely some winners and some losers and uh, I see on the front page today Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito what's this about so this is where they're trying to get Arnold Schwarzenegger to say the word neighbor and of course it comes out neighbor like he's a sheep um, and so at the end, you see them bring in Danny DeVito to say the word correctly for him because take after take, he just can't say it. Uh, <laughs> so, then he calls, so then he calls DeVito a backstabber. Backstabber. So really and it actually kind of got a lot of top of mind awareness because it got played twice since this is the second time that the Super Bowl has gone into overtime. So we had to see the full version, the full 60 seconds. And then because of overtime, we got to see an abbreviated version for 30 seconds. 
So people kind of got a, a double dose of Arnold and Danny. <laughs> and uh, Arnold is now 76 and Danny is 79. A lot of oldies but goldies were trotted out. I saw Glenn Close and, uh, and of course, the one with Ben Affleck, not Ben Affleck, but uh, Christopher Walken. He Christopher got, Walken. Yeah, that one got a lot of attention. And they, and they did a good job of kind of melding that old school and new school. Um, the walk-in ad especially brought in Usher at the end and kind of looked at Usher and said, don't you have some place to be, uh, alluding to Usher having to go and do the halftime show. Uh, so the, and you mentioned the ben, ben Affleck one as well, which I believe took second in the USSD today. Yeah. Um, and that was star-studded. Of course, Matt Damon, Jennifer Lopez, Tom Brady, um, lots and lots and lots of actors in ads this year, which is kind of different. Last year, there was a big play on nostalgia and AI. So having more actors this year was really kind of a throwback to some of our earlier Super Bowl years. We're hearing the voice of Jensen Moore, professor, journalism at the University of Oklahoma, formerly at LSU, and she's assessing the Super Bowl commercials. By the way, the game was a good one, overtime. Chiefs won 25-22 over the 49ers. We're back after this. This is Jim Inkster. You are listening to Talk Louisiana. Happy Mardi Gras to you. Robin Dow producing, and your number is 877-217-5757. We're talking with Dr. Jensen Moore of the University of Oklahoma. She's not only a professor of public relations at the Gaylord College of Mass Communications, but... She has experience in professional sports. She worked for the Grand Rapids Hoops professional basketball team as the media relations director and also worked uh, for the St. Paul Saints professional baseball team as head of community relations and advertising. 877-217-5757. A listener asked, and it's not unexpected for our show, uh, the the Bobby Kennedy Jr. commercial, he's apologized to his relatives over a Super Bowl ad created by a group supporting his presidential bid, which mirrored one broadcast by his uncle Jack in 1960. Uh, there were 15 mentions of the name Kennedy, 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 in 30 seconds, and uh, a lot of money was invested on this. Uh, and I don't know if it did Bobby Kennedy any good or not, but it probably made some of the other candidates squirm, and, and even Bobby Kennedy is now apologizing to his family. What's going on here, Jensen Moore? Well, his super PAC uh, spent $7 million on that particular ad uh, called American Values, and obviously throwing back to, you know, his cousin and since the majority of the people in his family have thrown their hat behind Biden and have not decided they're going to vote for him, uh, this has ended up being a really big flop. And of course, now he's apologizing for it. So not $7 million well spent. A 30-second ad, the cost $7 million. The 1967 cost, when the Chiefs lost to the Packers, $42,500. It was the most watched game in the history of Super Bowls. And uh, I guess there are a few reasons for that, uh, but no doubt uh, Taylor Swift played a part in it. Uh, what do you make of all the all the interest in her and Travis Kelsey, who pushed his coach? Well, it's certainly brought a whole new dynamic to the NFL. We saw a lot of people kind of fall off years ago, 
after everything that happened with Nike and, you know, the racial pro- protests, a lot of people said they were not going to watch the NFL anymore because it be- had become a platform um, for, you know, people to take a knee like Colin Kaepernick had. Um, but this year with Taylor being at the Super Bowl, that kind of elevated it in the minds of a lot of younger viewers and got a whole dynamic of young girls watching it with, you know, their dads and grandpas. Um, my daughter was wearing her, you know, go Taylor Swift's boyfriend sweatshirt during the Super Bowl. So it, it, it is definitely encouraged a lot of people who would have otherwise not watched to watch. And like you said, this is, you know, this is the most watched Super Bowl. It's, and this program was actually the most watched program since the 1969 moon landing. So, I mean, we're, we're seeing the NFL put up really big numbers with 123.4 million viewers this year. Wow. Well, Patrick Mahomes' box office, uh, shame on uh, Jim Nance of CBS for not asking uh, either the coach, Andy Reid, or the player involved, Travis Kelsey, about the push and the yelling. Uh, that was irresponsible. Uh, I know it's a celebratory thing, but... It's certainly not journalism. It's something else. And uh, CBS, of course, is uh, making a lot of money with 124 million viewers. But yesterday, Sean Payton, the former Saints coach, noted that in 2017, when the Saints had the 11th pick in the draft, he was going to take Mahomes. He said he was the best quarterback I'd ever seen on college tape. He called Drew Brees to tell him nothing personal, but we're going to draft a quarterback if Mahomes is available at pick 11. Well, the Chiefs traded ahead of the Saints right before pick 10, and Peyton knew what was coming. He goes, there goes our quarterback. He said to Mickey Loomis, the Saints did okay. They took Marshawn Lattimore, but it was uh, a missed opportunity. Can you imagine if Patrick Mahomes had been the heir to Drew Brees in New Orleans, Jensen? Oh, my goodness. And I'm sure Sean Peyton is regretting that trade every single day. That would have been an amazing coup for the Saints. Well, what about Usher? That's what another listener asks. Uh, Usher certainly got a lot of attention. And uh, I remember once when, when I was a kid, it was more than once. It was every year when they rated the best sportscaster in America and the worst. Howard Cosell would top both lists. Well, Usher is one of those people where people have an opinion about him, Jensen. Yeah, his performance. So my generation, as soon as Usher says, yeah, we're on the dance floor. Older generation. <laughs> They don't understand maybe the appeal and, you know, younger generations like my daughter, she just liked the fact that it was a blend of, you know, some of the newer artists um, and some of the throwbacks like Alicia Keys and uh, Ludacris. So I felt like it was a really good mix. And, you know, I was I was at a Super Bowl party and we were all dancing during the Usher concert. (laughs) Well, he took his shirt off. I didn't realize he was only five feet eight. He's no rock. Yes, the last year we were talking about Dwayne Johnson, but he's he's a well-built forty-five-year-old man. He wasn't afraid to uh, show his chest on national television. Right, complete double standard. Right, the yeah, women. Yeah, why, 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 why is it a big deal when Janet Jackson does it? Why is that? Yeah, you're right. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You go ahead. No, oh no, yeah. So just. You know, we find Janet Jackson for a wardrobe malfunction, but the men who perform can take their shirts off. So, yeah. That's not right. Uh, but that's another story. But but Usher, uh, he got married, too. 
the Vegas trip and uh, married his longtime girlfriend. And he appeared to be quite chummy with Alicia Keys. Uh, but, yeah. but there's but, a lot of um, chatter about that and whether or not that was going to be caused for Swiss Beats to, you know, Alicia Keys' husband uh, to kind of make some statement against Usher. But so far, neither party has really addressed it. Well, um, she she looked magnificent in her red dress, but uh, Robin Dow said she was disappointed in Alicia's performance. So she didn't she didn't do a whole lot, did she? But uh, she's yeah, no, she's I, shaking her head. No, yeah, she, she she said she wasn't her top top of her game. You know, she's known for really hitting the piano and the, the strong vocals, and I don't think she had enough time to really do either and shine like she usually does. Well, and she didn't hesitate to take a secondary role. She's a pretty big star, too. Like, huge. Yeah. A uh, listener asked about the ones that didn't do well. Uh, what were the what were the real duds? Uh, you mentioned Bobby Kennedy, but $7 million is a lot of money to spend. And his, by the way, is listed last in the, in the USA Today meter, American Values. What were some of the others? So anytime that you bring in those big celebrities, you're not only paying the $7 million for the airtime, but you're also paying for those celebrities. So we had Mr. P with Pringles and Chris Pratt. It was a flop. We had Mr. T in the Skechers, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin in the Kawasaki Mullets ad. Um, and then a pairing, which could have done really well, Zach Braff, Donald Faison, and Jason Momoa, thinking about that home internet feeling was a flop. And then the one that really grossed me out was Kate McKinnon taking a big spoon of mayonnaise in the Hellman's Mayo Cat. Um, so yeah, those were just ones where, you know, you have these celebrities and you have a chance to shine and yet they flopped. Yeah. And a listener notes correctly that it's not just the 7 million they invest to be on the air. It's also the money that these uh, commercials are produced at and, and uh, Kennedy's was a it was a cheapie but some of these others they spent I'm sure millions to um, get a message out that did not work yeah on the production end yeah Paul in Opelousas Paul good morning you're on with Dr. Jensen Moore well Jim uh, uh, Vegas is over we up next New Orleans Louisiana what we gonna do how are we gonna turn this thing out thank you very much <laughs> All right. Well, New Orleans knows how to throw a party, and actually, New Orleans had this Super Bowl, but realized it collided with with uh, Mardi Gras. Can you imagine those two going on together? But next year, it is New Orleans. Last time, uh, the lights went out at the Superdome. That hopefully won't happen in 2025, but... Uh, it's not like New Orleans hasn't done it before. I think this will be... I think this is number 11 for New Orleans. So, Jensen, uh, for a city that is... Uh, probably smaller than Oklahoma City when you get right down to it. New Orleans actually um, gets a lot of attention because for some reason people like to come to the crown jewel of Louisiana. Well, New Orleans knows how to throw a party. So, of course, people are going to want to be there. And like you said, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium had that power outage in 2013 during the last Super Bowl. So hopefully they got everything handled for next year. Uh, but we did actually get an interesting non-shown Super Bowl ad out of that. Uh, when the lights went out, Oreo did a dunk in the dark 
uh, kind of viral ad on Twitter. And this year they followed it up with Oreo's twist on it. So <laughs> Oreo's, Oreo's trying to get back in the mix. Well, it was a great game. That always helps. And uh, the Super, Do- Super Bowl 14 years ago that uh, Drew Brees and the Saints won against Indianapolis, that would at the time surpass MASH as the highest rated program uh, in U.S. history. And uh, and this one, they did even better. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Like I said there were, you know, 123.4 million viewers. Just everybody was tuning in. And you mentioned the production costs for a lot of these ads. Um, the Hollywood studios are taking advantage of their promotion budget. We had 10 different movie trailers dropped this year. Because uh, obviously, you know, CBS is trying to figure out where the money is going to come from from these ads. And Hollywood is rolling out the red carpet and really dedicating a lot of their ad spending toward live events like this. Well, thank you for joining us, as always, Dr. Jensen Moore. And there are a few things we could talk to you. We may give you a call or two about journalistic matters. She's an authority on public relations and other media activities. So, Jensen, thank you, and always good to hear your voice. Always good to hear from you, too, Jim. You guys have a great day. You, too. We'll be back with more Talk Louisiana after this quick timeout. This is Jim Inkster. Thank you for joining us for Talk Louisiana on Mardi Gras Day. And in a moment, we'll remember the great Bob Edwards, who died over the weekend at age 76. But we're joined by the film programming director at the Manship Theater for a few minutes, Kelly Swift, 2021 graduate of Louisiana State University, a native of Lafayette. And she is in charge of movies at the Manship Theater, film programming, and there's a lot going on there. And as I mentioned, it is one of the most spectacular places to see anything particularly a film and there are a few things going on uh, this week correct yes we've got a lot going on a plethora of uh, diverse movies going on the entire month of february and uh i really want to talk about despicable me which we're showing tomorrow at 2 p.m um it's a good movie to take the kids to because i know they're out of school for mardi gras break um so we're showing that tomorrow at 2 p.m. And we'll have the bar open with some popcorn. <laughs> the bar? You're not serving well, libations to these if, little kids, are if you? If parents or grandparents are interested, we will have a fully stocked bar. <laughs> oh, okay. So the parents can uh, have a good time while the kids are watching Despicable Me. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> All right. But uh, that's tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Yes, tomorrow And then there's something going on Friday, isn't there? Yes, there is. We have the Oscar shorts, um, which are all of the Oscar-nominated short movies. Um, we've got documentary, live action, and animation categories, and it's a cool chance to come and see the movies that are nominated for Oscars this year. Yeah, that sounds interesting. What time is that? That's going to be at 7 p.m. Friday. Well, this uh, is something that is uh, amazing. In fact, I know because I've done it, uh, you can rent out the manship at a reasonable price and show your own movies there. Exactly. So that, that's great. But uh, manship shows films throughout the year. We just had... Uh, Aura Ruby and on about the Jewish Film Festival, which has been there for 20 years or so. But but uh, you, you've got a few other things going in February. we got time to mention one or two of the others. Absolutely. Um, I'm particularly excited about Vanya. It's National Theater Live's Vanya, and it's um, February 25th at 2 p.m. It is a live recording of a theatrical production, and so you feel like you're there um, in London where they show it. Um, it's featuring Andrew Scott, who was in Fleabag. Um, he's pretty up and coming right now. 
And so that's pretty exciting. That'll be February 25th at 2 p.m. February 25th, 60th anniversary of Cassius Clay beating Sonny Liston for the heavyweight championship well, in Miami, Florida, long before you were <laughs> Perfect day for Vanya. <laughs> but there was a great movie about that uh, last year involving uh, One Night in Miami. I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of the name of it, but it involved the conversation after the fight with Jim Brown and Sam Cooke. And uh, there was one other, uh, Muhammad Ali, of course, and Malcolm X. That was that was something that actually happened. But uh, the Manship Theater is on the cutting edge of societal evolution, as another talk show used to say. <laughs> and we're glad you're promoting the films. Absolutely, and uh, congratulations too. on your assignment. Kelly Swift, we'll be calling on you again. Well, thank, thank you very thank much. Thank you. And Bob Edwards, who anchored Morning Edition for nearly a quarter century, Uh, We have many interviews with him through the years, but the last was in 2019. He was in failing health, but he joined us on the 40th anniversary of Morning Edition. People may not remember, but he was, with all things considered, with Susan Stamberg, who recently left. And then even in 79, he became the anchor of Morning Edition, and they threw him out the door. The honchos at NPR did, and he was... A relatively young man at 56 years old, but they said he was killing himself. Well, he lived another 20 years. And his first interview for Morning Edition was Charles Osgood, who died last month. But for those of us who relished his style and respected his talent, the warm baritone of Bob Edwards will ring in our hearts and minds and ears for a long time. And let's go back about five years ago when he was with us and remembered the genesis of Morning Edition. Greetings, how are you? Well, it's always good to hear your voice. I'm always doing well when I talk to you. And uh, for you, I I would imagine this is a a big week. Uh, Lots of thoughts about then and now. Oh, we had a big party at NPR yesterday, and they were kind enough to invite me over. And uh, all of the hosts had a little roundtable discussion of, I don't know, swapping stories over the years. Well, when it all started, as you have noted, it it wasn't the smoothest beginning, was it? (laughs) No, it was a disaster, actually. Uh, I was co-hosting All Things Considered, and they were going to have this new program in the morning that was going to threaten our standing within NPR. So we didn't feel badly at all when the pilot for that program was just awful. Uh, The stations got to hear it, but the listeners did not. It was close circuit to the stations, and uh, they were appalled by what they heard. Uh And um, so the the suits at NPR um, got rid of the producers and the hosts that they had planned to put on, and they drafted me uh, from all things considered. They said, just do this for 30 days until we find a new host and uh, 30 days turned out to be 24 and a half years. And it was quite a ride. And, and talk about a guy who left on top. You were at the top of your game. And, and by today's standards, a relatively young fellow. Uh, you, you're younger than the president. Like right now, you're younger. But <laughs> I recall yeah, fif- fif- 15 years ago, they were saying, the guy's uh, he's 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 past his prime. Uh, it, it was not a it was not a pleasant parting, was it? Well, it wasn't my idea, but you know, it turned out all right. I went over to satellite radio and started a program that did quite well. Yes, indeed. 
Now you are a great interviewer, and uh, and and on satellite radio, that that is evident uh, by the work you've done there. But you got you did some great interviews on on NPR, and and for those who are unfamiliar with Bob's uh, devotion to his craft, in those early years, you were probably showing up for work like at midnight, right? I would get up at one o'clock in the morning, and I would be in the office by two a.m. By 2 a.m., and then you got to put a whole show together. Right. That was, of course, hours before we went on the air, but I was able to record interviews with people on the other side of the world who, um, you know, couldn't do it live. They had to record and then go off and cover a story somewhere. And um, so I would do early interviews, and we would pre record those and have them ready for when we went on the air at 5 Eastern Time. Now, when you left, uh, the show had about 15 million listeners, and, and it's uh, around that number now, uh, maybe even a few more. But of course, we have more people in our country now than we did in 2004. But some of the people that uh, were along for the ride who became part of the fabric of America because of that show and because of their association with you, uh, people knew Red Barber well as a sportscaster, but you brought out a new dimension. Oh, he was such fun. You know, he was uh, our link to uh, radio of the past. He was a uh, you know, pioneer broadcaster starting in the 1930s, uh, was the voice of the Cincinnati Reds, then the Brooklyn Dodgers, then the New York Yankees, and came out of retirement to talk to me every Friday for four minutes, and people were riveted. They, they just uh postponed the shower or the trip to work or whatever so they could listen to those four minutes every Friday. It, it added a whole bunch of listeners to public radio, and we have Red Barber to thank for that. We lost Cokie Roberts uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, she and you collaborated for many years and uh, was quite a, not only a journalistic talent, but quite a person. Oh, she was a gem. Uh, someone who was literally raised in the House of Representatives. Uh, her father was Hale Boggs, who was uh, majority leader and would have been speaker had he not uh, died in a plane crash in Alaska while campaigning for a, a congressman there. Um, but she was fantastic. She knew more about this government and its history than uh, anybody I know um, and was a joy to talk to for all those years. We were recalling a story recently. Koki and I were talking live one morning when uh, this dog started barking. Uh, and neither of us mentioned it because we were continuing the illusion that Koki was in the studio with me. She was not. She was at home in her jammies talking to me on a very sophisticated phone line, which sounded like she was in the studio. And the dog gave us away. So we had to talk ultimately about the dog. The dog's name was Abner. One listener correctly identified it as a basset hound. I, you know, I love our <laughs> listeners. They're very sharp. See, yeah. sometimes those uh, impromptu uh, events uh, are the most memorable. You oh, wrote, great. Well, they give us the stories that we can talk about you, now in our old age, like me. <laughs> well, and, and I'm not far behind you, but your memoir, A Voice in the Box, is published about eight years ago. It's one of the best books ever about radio, and, and you really loved what you did. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, well, yeah, I spent 50 years at it, and uh, it's what I wanted to do from the time I was three years old, um, and I ended up doing exactly what I wanted to do, and how many how many people get to have that opportunity, so I, I treasure it. 
And you never forgot your home ground of Louisville. That uh, remains a big part of Bob Edwards. Oh, no. Uh, absolutely. I'm a bluegrass boy. Last night they had an election there. They did, and it's so close. It's like, what, 5,000 votes separating the two, so they haven't really declared an official mm-hmm. winner yet. So who knows? That would probably go, go to the courts. What do you think about uh, practitioners in media today who are working in the era of Trump? Uh, this is an adventure we're in, and it's an uncharted adventure. There's never been anything like this. Yeah, it's been transformed not just by Trump, but by the nature of um, of media. You know, we now have these um, cable television channels. We'll pick up with Bob Edwards tomorrow and remember more of the legendary anchor, Robert Allen Edwards, May 16, 1947 to February 10, 2024. One of a kind, a legend who is worthy of two days of remembrance. Back tomorrow. Stay tuned.